Life's a Mitch. Warning, this episode may contain content that might be sensitive for some listeners. Discretion is advised. If you find yourself being triggered at any time, it is recommended that you contact a professional service like Beyond Blue or the Black Dog Institute. Please enjoy the episode and thank you. G'day everyone. Welcome back to the first episode of Life's a Mitch for 2024. Sorry, it was a pretty quiet year last year. I had a fair bit go on. I lost a few friends, lost Nan. Um, Nude started a new job and it was just a logistically a bit of a nightmare and uh, I got through the Christmas period in the new year. I hope everyone had a great break. Uh, mine was pretty good. Got to see everyone, nephews and nieces, brothers, step-siblings, parents, you name it. They're all there. Um, sorry, I've just had a tacos for tea. I'm so full. This is awesome. So uh, I hope everyone's well. My next guest, uh, funnily, in the, in the most unlikely place I thought I'd find a fellow podcast host. Uh, as I was up in Newcastle seeing family and friends, um, thought I'd hop on a Bumble and uh, have a bit of a swipey swipe, as you do when you're a single person. And um, I was like, I was coming across this uh, very cute, very attractive uh, podcast host. Um, so I thought, you know, I'll have a swipe, see how it go. And before you know it, a few hours later, we've matched and we've been chatting and shooting the shit. And uh, there's good banter there. And um, so I heard a little bit about this person's podcast. It's about true crime. It's about stories that affect uh, this, the, uh, the deaths and well, I can't do it justice, like crimes related to young children. And anyways, I'll let the host sort of talk about the depth of it in more so in more detail. Jeez, I'm rusty. Sorry, guys. Um, anyways, so I thought I'd ask her to come on, share the story, the genesis of the podcast, sort of some of the work she's done. Uh, the podcast has gone stolen lives, true crime, and uh, the podcast host's name is Ali. I'm sorry for that very, very amateurish introduction. Uh, firstly, thank you for swiping right on me, and uh, thanks for coming <laughs> on today. How are you this evening? I'm I'm great, thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. So where do we find you on this? Uh, was it Monday evening? At home. At home. No. In my wardrobe where I record. Oh, and as long as you come out of the closet sooner or later, you'll be just fine. So, so as the the name suggests, true crimes. I I assume that you've been, you've been interested in crime podcasts for a long time, uh, as a lot of Australians are. And before we deep dive into the genesis of it, how you got started, um, just wanted to ask where how it did, all began. Yeah, well, that was pretty much it. Like, where did the love, or where did the, I guess you could say the interest in true crime podcasts, where did that, where did like the love of it start from and how did you, how did you get involved in it? Essentially. My my grandparents raised me and they were obsessed with true crime where they would watch like Australia's most wanted America's most wanted uh, unsolved mysteries every night. They thought I was in bed, but I would sneak out and hide behind the couch and watch it and scare myself shitless and go to bed and not sleep. And my grandma used to buy these serial killer magazines and I used to steal them and cut out the articles I like. And I had this scrapbook and I'd stick them in the scrapbook and hide them under my bed. And one day when I was like, like seven, eight, nine, she'd, she found the scrapbook and she's like, what the actual is going on? But it's, it always has fascinated me, the human psychology, like why people do what they do. And I, I, studied, I studied it at uni and then, it was just an ongoing thing forever. And then okay. when I got the opportunity to do podcasting and then 
I'm sure we'll get to that. But <laughs> oh, we will. We will. So, so even at a young age, you were interested in like just fascinated, the, like by human behavior or sort of. Well, well, the like Australia's most wanted, America's most wanted. The ones that stick up stuck out to me was kids my age going missing, and they just scare me shitless. I would not go to sleep. I thought I'm going to go missing in my bed. It just really just interests me why it happens and how it happens and. It, it, it just scared me as a kid and as an adult now, I want to know why it happens. I see. Curious like myself, like I, I'll be honest, I've not, not really delved deeply into the world of true crime. Um, the sort of only one of interest to me, and that's uh, through a few degrees of separation. You know the story of Catherine Knight, I assume. Yes. Yes. So for I think those, everyone from our area knows that. Yeah. So if you grew up in Newcastle like we did, um, in the Hunter Valley specifically, back in the 80s, 90s, correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, Catherine Knight is known as Australia's worst, or one of Australia's worst female killers. Uh, she killed her ex-husband or husband at the time, um, skinned him alive, or sorry, skinned him after he was passed away, sorry, and then hung the height of the skin in the doorway, uh, served the head in the crockpot to the children. Uh, she was abusive. She was physically domineering. Um sounded like a horrible human and the reason that's of interest to me is because uh one of my family members used to work in the abattoirs up there with her at the time um oh, interesting. the um the family the family member uh used to be uh, good friends with uh, Catherine's twin sister and um yeah they used to say share eerie stories and so i won't mention what family member that is just due to out of respect to their privacy but um very eerie feelings and i'm sorry i'm calming myself a bit i come back with the 2024 nerves i'm i'm more settled now so i do apologize but i broke my golden rule before we delve into more of the pod i um use this tool as a bit of an icebreaker i use it as a bit of a way to sort of allow myself to calm the nerves and if the guest is feeling a bit nervy as well it helps a little bit this next section is called having a bitchy with mitchy and it's a light-hearted approach just to sort of get something off your chest so ali sorry i'm sorry i've mixed up the order here i was just wondering would you like to join me in having a bitchy with mitchy this evening i would absolutely love that awesome so the guest always has the choice if they'd like to go first or i can it's up to you if there's something on your chest that you'd like to get out in the universe would you like me to go first well women should always go first so there you go I... <laughs> there you go uh <laughs> For me, the biggest gripe I have is podcast reviews. I'm keeping what it specifically in... on well. I, I th- I'm a, I'm a big fan of constructive criticism. I get a review saying I don't like the music or the tempo. I'm fine with that, but it's, things outside my control, like I don't like your voice, or I don't like how you pronounce stuff. And as you would know, you can't respond to reviews. On iTunes and Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just very frustrating. I mean, yeah, like those things that you can't help. Your voice. Yeah. I don't know. Like you know, we live in an age where, like, you know, I hate to say it, like if someone's offended by something, they'll go and complain to the streaming service and have that episode taken down. Well, one example was on the TV show Scrubs. Um, there were a few episodes where they did, controversial blackface you know 20 odd years ago when it was in production it wasn't as big a deal but now it is and people have 
complain to producers and whoever. Anyway, some of those episodes have come off the streaming service, which really? is called, which is Star here in Australia, which is one of the banners under the Disney Plus uh, streaming service. Anyways, long story short, what pisses me off as well, I'll agree with you here in this, that people can help themselves. Okay, instead of whinging about your voice or these episodes, how about you help yourself and don't fucking listen to it? I think like when you, you have a podcast, you become like public domain. So they think that they listeners can control a lot of things. And it's a free podcast. So as you said, don't listen. And I, I feel like if you want things better, you give constructive criticism. It's just it's it gets frustrating. Like I'm majority of my audience is American, eighty percent, and I do pronounce things differently to Americans as we all do over here. So it gets frustrating. Understandably, and you know, with access to I think every every person in their camels doing a podcast at the moment. Um, yes. You know, you literally fingertips to try something else. So to those people out there who are criticizing about the most minuscule things how about a little bit of forward thinking and help yourself you're not a fan that's cool we're not going to lose sleep over it as the makers of these shows i don't think i've ever left left a bad review for someone unless there's something that that can is in their control like if they're a bit i don't know like they're closed-minded on a certain topic or something like that like if there's something outside their control as in their voice or their gender like it doesn't really solve anything leaving a review. Oh, you're not going to go get a sex change after a negative review? I mean, come on. Are you doing it for look, the fans or what? Look, I don't love my fans enough, obviously. <laughs> Alistair <laughs> reporting live. Exactly. But I get what you're saying. I, mean, I think I've only, I haven't had many reviews, but one of the ones was actually they've all been kind of positive. Um, I've had a no, few... I did look at yours earlier because all yours was. But I've got a I've got a fraction of the ones that you have anyway, so that's a that's a valid bitchy. I I get it. Um, a little forward thinking out there from people, and just know that you know if you do leave a negative review for something, whether it be Yelp or a podcast or whatever, there are those that are affected by that. You know, it could mean someone's job. It could mean you know someone taking home an extra bonus to feed their family or something that they've been saving up for months to do if you're out there and you have to if you want to review something just do it in a constructive way as Ali's saying I would think because as I said it could be the difference between someone being employed and not would you agree and I think to other podcasters too it teaches you to be have a thick skin because when I first started it used to really upset me hearing that those kind of reviews or reading those kind of reviews but in the day you learn that you can't please everyone as long as you're doing your best you can and you are giving the best content you can give as long as you're making your listeners happy you can't please everyone yeah 100 percent. and that's it like podcasters whether they're company independent like myself or a giant media powerhouse like iheart people are just trying their best to create entertainment for the consumer and just genuinely trying to give a, a wide audience something to do through their day that's why I love podcasting, sharing stories like yours. And so I do apologize for the bit of shaky start. I've hit the ground runner now. Got a bottle of water in front of me. I'm looking at a cute picture of myself in the Zoom screen. This is fantastic. I think um, 
I'm a bit shaky too. I've not done this kind of thing for a while. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I'm we'll, used we'll to reading up a script. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Well, we'll get to sort of how you construct an episode and how you choose the stories that you review and um, sort of break down. But I guess quickly, like well, I'll I'll add on to your to your your bitch. Mine is similar. It, it, it's just that, like, if people if there's something bothering them, whether it's getting over an ex or an issue at work or, you know, and, and they blame everybody else, you know, they're the victim this, they're the victim that I just choose to do what I can to try and overcome said issue. You know, if I can, if someone's wronged me and it, it left a scar, okay. Sometimes time does heal all wounds or, you know, if someone at work genuinely was a bit of a prick to you, you can take two roads. You can choose to take the high road and, Try and better yourself and move beyond it, or you can stay. But stuck. how do you deal that? So, say you're on a date and someone is just wants to just bitch about their ex. How do you deal with that? Well, okay. Well, this is sort of going to be a, I guess, a, a half bumble date, half podcast <laughs> review. I suppose this is interesting. This is new territory for me. But if I'm if I'm sitting there, um, and the conversation's going, you can tell if there's a personal red flag for you with what that person's saying, or there's not. I think if you have enough emotional maturity in yourself and if you know what you're about, you know, you've taken the time to make a list of what's important to you, um, you can tell. Anyway, so if someone is there saying this about the ex and that about the ex, there's a line between having drama, which we all do, I get that, and there's too much, like how would I articulate it? You start to see the red flags. You start to see this person blame them for their own shortcomings. And my ex this and my ex that. And he was a prick or she was a fuckwit or whatever. And then once you start going down the rabbit hole of how shit of a person they are and they're not focusing on themselves, then I could be too nice. I could be too nice in that situation. And they, if they start, I yeah. don't know how to end it. And close it off. So well, I'm very I, interested. I would get through the first meeting, whether it's a coffee or a beverage or something. I get through it as best I could, and I'd leave. And then I don't know. A little while later, I text them and say, "Hey, look, I really thank you for your time. I just don't. I didn't. I didn't feel the connection I thought I might. And I really appreciate your time. And I wish you all the best. That you can. It's still holding your head high, and you're not going. You you speaking about your ex or RA? There's no need to be nasty about it. They've oh, obviously got that. they've obviously got stuff going on, and you as the person meeting them or me as the person meeting them, I don't need to add any further drama to their story. I, I don't want to be responsible for putting a heavier burden on anyone out there, especially someone just trying to make it in the dating world. So that's what I would do. Um, I hope that answers your question, and that's my bitch out of the way. It's just I hope people, <laughs> if they're able to, in one way or another take steps forward to getting over a shitty scenario um then I, I see green flags if people are moving on and taking steps to improve themselves geez that was a pretty good answer i negotiated that pretty well didn't i good work that's a sympathy clap Oof, stop it <laughs> okay so segues aside so spoken a little bit about the genesis of your pod and how you sort of come to be a kid who was paranoid and was always interested in the metaphysical and the physical realms of true crime so it was, for a, it you... was, a, it was the start of my anxiety in life yes <laughs> oh yeah I, my start of anxiety at life was 
Uh, I was, as a kid, I was scared of the second Terminator movie. Those red eyes coming down the hallway. Oof. Does does things to a young a young lad in the dark? But that's less realistic, though. A Terminator is not going to come get you, but the scary kidnapper in your bedroom is quite possible. I was seven, and if we're going to compare childhood drama, we're not going to do it on this medium. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> that's that's a later. That's a later. One hundred percent. But um, okay. So take us back to. I'm oh, sorry. Take us forward to. We'll fast forward to from when you were a kid and you. I'm sure you read a lot of true crime books as a at school or you know, watch movies or what have you. You fast forward to sort of after high school. How did you or what steps were happening in your life to get you to the point of you started your podcast? Because you've been doing it for you've done podcasting for a fair while now, haven't you? I have, yeah, seven and a half years. Okay, and so what was the first project that you worked on? Um, was it another true crime show, or was it something different, or how did you get started? Yeah. It kind of kind of went back to I went to university to I wanted to be a cop. I just wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to work in crime scene investigation. Oh, oh sorry, crash scene investigation. So I wanted to work at um, crash scenes and work out how it all happened and that kind of stuff. But I, we had our prac two years in, and I, I wasn't a fan. It wasn't exciting as I thought it was going to be. So I went to uni and just finished a criminology degree and then did a sociology master's. I was kind of like floating around, didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I was offered a job with um, docs, like child protection, when I finished uni. And I thought that that, that will do me for uh, the next six months, a year, until I work out what I want to do. And I stayed there for 10 years because I got, I was, that made me very passionate about child protection, uh, child safeguarding, making sure that the children had a safe environment and the parents had the right tools to raise their kids in certain environments. We did deal with a lot with lower socioeconomic communities, so giving them the tools to take their kids to the doctors and the dentist and send their kids to school, which seems to be a normal thing for you and me, but not for certain communities. Yeah, that's true. Like you sort of, you, you stop to smell the roses sometimes and see how good we have it, uh, especially in this country. The medical system is up there with what I understand is some of the best in the world. So I'm grateful to be Australian. So how did you be, find this passion to want to help these kids? Like have you always been someone who has believed in standing up for justice kind of thing? Like you don't like to see people hardly done by or where did that all sort of where did you find the love for doing what you did for 10 years well it was it was working in docs with docs with child protection and seeing what I saw and the red tape involved there there were obviously families that needed help but there wasn't not enough resources to go around and there were certain children that need to be removed but that they wouldn't remove them and it felt like nothing would happen until it was too late and that made me just angry and frustrated. And I knew I couldn't do it forever because otherwise I'd, I'd just kidnap all the kids. <laughs> I'd, I'd just, I'd go to jail for kidnapping. Because I, I just, it got to the point where uh, there were kids that shouldn't be in the environment they were in and there was no removing them. And I could see where it was heading. 
and look, these are like multiple generations where and it wasn't necessarily the, the parents' fault. It was just the lack of education of how to raise a child. Well, I'm not a criminology expert. I'm not an expert on uh, like the way the brain's developed. But one thing I have come to understand is that kids are a product in their environment. You know, if they grow up seeing their parents do one thing, they're going to assume it's the normal, right? It's a very big thing. Like nature or nurture makes a a criminal, and I think it's definitely a combination of both. Do you find that in some of the criminal investigations that you break down, a vast majority of them do come from a, a lower socioeconomic background, or is that a, is that one of the? Uh, no, I, I def- no, I definitely agree, and a lot of it is lack of education of how to be just the lack of social skills or lack of life skills. And I think it's something that needs to be taught at schools. I think that's a big lacking thing of the government where they need to go back and teach the kids how to be adults. And I think that, think back when you're at school, what we learnt, it was cooking basic foods, maybe making an apron. It wasn't about taxes and washing your clothes and just general stuff that you need to know. I think that's very lacking in certain demographics. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I guess I take myself back to my childhood, like most of the stuff from school I've forgotten. Like, I couldn't tell you how to do Pythagoras theorem or. But when, uh, when have you ever used that though? Uh, a little, I've, I'm one of the few people that actually have used it a bit. Um, when <laughs> okay. I was in my wow. apprenticeship, I did a, I did a surveying, uh, some of the components of my training was surveying. So, and basic surveying is trigonometry, um, Pythagoras for the win. But anyways, um, way to treat my, my theory incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm one of the few who have used it since, but, but you know what I mean? Like those skills that I've learned through work, I've always used more and retained day to day. So I started my first job when I was 15. I worked at a Bunnings warehouse. And for those of you international listeners, it's kind of like a Walmart, but just hardware, hardware supplies. Anyways, it was good. Like you learned to do cash registers, how to speak to people like customer service and sort of you learn from a professional stance, how to be an active team member in a working environment. And sometimes, you know, it would require you to work as an individual as well and, and problem solving skills. And those are skills that I learned because I wanted to be there and, if it's the same for anyone else out there, you know, some these people might only learn skills if they're interested in doing it. And um, if it's anything like I think it is, basically, like, mind you, I'm no expert on this matter, but uh, if, they're, if they're lacking social skills, there might be a, a disconnect there and they may be not be in the right environment to learn the skills that they need to, which well, is a, a shame. Of, a bit of background of my, for myself, I grew up in a in community housing and a, a very lacking school and I didn't learn anything. A lot of kids at my school left in year nine, year 10, and then went to jail or got pregnant. That was the two paths people at my school took. And there was no other option. There was no breaking of that that cycle. And I feel like there needs to be more of an effort by the powers that be to really get in those communities and really work with them to break that cycle and make that change where it, you don't have to be a product of your environment. Certainly a, a difficult task, no doubt. And 
there are those like yourself who have worked in government trying to make the place a little better. So I'm hoping that, you know, I know it's no easy fix and it'll take countless billions of dollars and decades of research and whatever, but I just hope that the governments that, you know, do have faced these issues all around the world take steps to better themselves every day. Um, So I guess transitioning from that, the next question for you would be, so after you've finished your time at school and your time with docs, was there a long time before you got into the podcasting medium or what happened between docs and when you got started seven years ago? Well, I was on maternity leave with my youngest child and I started listening to podcasts. I feel like everyone's gateway drug with podcasting is serial and then you move on from there. And I got listening to a – if they're listening, I don't think they will, but if they're listening, History Dweebs was a, a podcast I listened to and they were a comedy true crime podcast. And one of the hosts wanted to do a serious podcast and I was in the Facebook group and he did a call out. And I thought, well, I like true crime. I like podcasts. YOLO. And I put my hand up. Wow. I haven't heard YOLO for a while. I'm old. Yeah, me too. And, um, yeah, so me and another woman in the U.S., because he was based in the U.S., and me and another woman in the U.S. volunteered. So the three of us started. And we did three episodes together, and then he quit because it was too much because we were very heavily in the research realm, and he's like, this is just too much for us, for me. So then it was just her and me, and then we did that for three and a half years. And that was, again, that was back when podcasting just started. So we got very big, very quick. And I got to travel all over the US with the podcast, which was amazing. I got yeah. really what, appreciate that time. What was the name of your show? Uh, it was Insight. Is it still out there in the ethos for people to check out if they want to? I think so. I'm going to have to do a deep dive on that at another time. Sorry, go on. So got to go over the US and you toured for three and a bit years. So what? Um, why did that sort of come to a close? Uh, we just had very much creative differences. Um, we had different ideas where the podcast was going to lead, different interests for the cases we covered. And I, I was very much more interested then in more children cases where she was more interested in more supernatural missing person type cases and that just didn't interest me and yeah at the end of the day I think it was best just to cut ties and yeah no bad blood no that's fair enough so were you based in Australia and you got to tour there a few times or did you actually move over there to do it full time no I was here and I'd go over there for crime con every May for a week crime con everyone I'm of the opinion Everyone has some sort of fandom. We're all a nerd for something. And in your case, it was crime. <laughs> it's cool. crime con is in the US every May. And it's I definitely recommend going. It's such a great opportunity. You get to meet every all the true crime podcasters, there's search dogs, escape rooms, all the even all the people from TV, like Nancy Grace or whoever else, like all the the Keith Morrison, all the true crime TV people were there. It's, it's an amazing thing to go to. You talk about all the major true crime cases. It's a great opportunity. 
So how long was it after that project decided to, I, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was Stolen Lives the next project you worked on or was there something it in was. between? No, I, I took probably about a year off. Yep. I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep on going, to be honest. It was very, uh, it was a very hard thing to want to restart by yourself. It is as tough, you know, as, as you know, by yourself, it's a very confronting thing to organise everything yourself. Yeah, it can be and, like trying to source guests, time to edit it, all that stuff. Yeah, and like in my case, it's like organising all the research, so the police records, the autopsy reports, the police rec, um, it's court records, everything. And then writing that all up and then recording and then editing. It's it's a massive job. It is. And it felt at that at that point it felt very impossible because I had two very young babies. So I took about six, twelve months off and then I started again. Okay, so how did you kick it off and what was the first story that you did that you covered? And what is the sort of layout of your show? Like do you get guests on? Do you uh, put snippets of audio in from interviews. So take us through the first episode, what's in it, and how did it all, like, sort of come to be? I don't even remember the first episode. <laughs> okay, oh, I've, got, I've, right got feed, I've got the feed right here in front of me. I think it was Bryce. L- L- Bryce, L- um, Bryce Les Pisa. La Pisa. I will take that. Um, uh, it, I didn't write released, that one. It was a released good on the 14th of, mine. of August 2019. A good friend of mine wrote that, and she has her own podcast now, True Crime Society. So shout out to them. Um, yeah, that was – I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and he was – I think he was an 18-year-old that went missing. So there was just me testing the waters. And then after that was definitely me – definitely finding my feet was um, Thomas Valva after that, which was a little boy that was – abused by his father who was a cop and I, I definitely felt my feet after that the first one was very just it wasn't even fitting to the rest of the podcast to be honest okay well we'll, we'll focus on thomas's one then so you've done your research you've uh shared the story so how did you um where did you find like your your sources of info and can you break down this episode like what's in it um what's covered uh, do you have um, like snippets of audio, or do you interview people? Like, what's your style of delivering an episode of of Stolen Lives? Like, what's, in, well, what's back, in it? well back then it was very raw and me not knowing what I was doing. So I did the research. It was basically research from the articles, and I did some news grabs, and I just pulled it all together. Where now I definitely go more. I get the actual police records and the autopsy reports and I read through. I do more of a deep dive and I do interviews. If I can, I do interviews with family and friends. But back then it was just very raw and I was very naive back then. A pair of as, we all are, as, as we all are, we start a podcast. 100%. So this was originally... Uh, this project was originally going to be about like relationships. So I started talking to my brother and then close friends. And it's like, I, I listened back and I'm like, I'm not cringing at it. Like, because it's like, Oh, you know, in the dating world, what would you say? And so, like, well, and the, the common theme was they just all had stories that were shared just like this, like in a timeline sense, I thought, well, 
why stuff around with the relationships and just talk about people's stories. It's their truth. It's laid back. It's, it's easy to do. And you, you know, you refined your style over time. Uh, yeah. So well, what, I was like, I was like my first, my first episode, like it was probably, it wasn't more of an adult victim. I mean, 18, not really an adult, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just wanted to have my own podcast I knew I wanted to focus more on kids and unsolved or maybe solved. I didn't know, but I, I just wanted to have my own podcast, but I knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't know how to go about it. Was it like and me? That... It took several episodes to really then refine in and focus in and like you are now, it yeah. took some time to really know where you want to go or how to, not really where you want to go, but how to do it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and uh, what are some of the things in the three years you've been doing doing it, uh, what are some of the things that you've learnt during your time or into its fourth year now, actually? It's nearly yeah. four years from since that release. So yeah, what over the time, like what was what have you learnt in refining your craft, do you think? Not being afraid to reach out and ask for help from outside sources. Because you can't always access what you need yourself, especially in what I'm doing. So in Australia if you need stuff from overseas, you can't access it yourself. So having that help from overseas is a massive help. Um, or just going to the source and just saying, look, I need this information. And people appreciate if you go to them instead of just going, relying on third parties or relying on the media. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, you over time you learn as a podcaster, or I'm a, this is for me, I can speak for myself, but I assume you're similar. You learn, obviously, better interview techniques. You learn to make it sound better. You learn to create a network. You learn to refine your style and you you know your niche. You know your audience. You know, like you said, the majority of your listeners are in the US. So you tailor that, you know, using terminology like pounds or like the trunk of a car as opposed to over here, like the boot of a car or something. So, I've like, done that before. I've said the wrong thing and people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You're talking about a torch and they're like, what's a torch? Yeah. And, and you, you learn that like, so yeah, these little nuances, these little things that over time you, you progress, you get better. And how was it originally sort of received? Did you get feedback from your first episode or, or did it take you some time to sort of start to get a bit of a feedback from episodes that you were doing? Well, I already had that audience there from the previous podcast. So they, I guess they had preconceived ideas what was going to happen with the podcast. So there was definitely feedback. It wasn't always positive, but it was there. But I feel like you, uh, going back to my bitch at the start of the episode, you can't always keep everyone happy. So you mentioned before about saying uh, trunk, not boot. But then you hear the the Australian audiences aren't happy, or there's always someone that's not going to be happy. So you need to just do the best you can, and then I think your loyal listeners will appreciate that you are doing your best. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of the community that I've been lucky enough to to get involved with was the fake doctors were friends pod. Everyone knows that story if you've listened to this for a long time. Yeah, and a lot of that market. Oh, sorry, market. A lot of that audience are from the US and it's cool like I've been able to collaborate with guests from multiple countries and it's been awesome and, so you uh, don't get you don't get the the situation where you have to be more uh, American when you 
talk about things. I, guess you I don't. just, I've always you... just tried to be mindful about it. Um, I don't, I've never, it's never caught me out if that's what you mean. I've just tried my best to, yeah, try and navigate that as best I can. But, you know, if you're Australian and talking to an American audience, you're never going to be on point. Like, you're like, so last night when I was walking into my room, I saw a spider. It's like, Oh, I saw a spider and killed it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I definitely try when I talk about, like, I say miles or kilometers or Fahrenheit or Celsius. Like, I try to definitely refer to both. So there's definitely an overview where everyone understands where I'm coming from. But sometimes you do slip up and someone's not going to be happy. But I think there needs to be some kind of understanding where you can't please everyone all the time. Yeah, I think, and if that's like sort of, the issues that you've faced over time then that's only min- like in my eyes that's yeah. that's only minuscule like it you know people want their fix of true crime and they like their murder fix 100 <laughs> percent. i guess you could say they were dying to get it but like they if people are out there just want to learn about something if i like i've, I've dialed into two episodes um and it didn't bother didn't bother me like because i still got the story, I still got the details, I still got the build up, and I still got the the gist as to what was happening. And um, like you know, I enjoyed the show. Um, it was a, it's a very easy to listen to, very laid back, raw sort of deep dive into these scenarios. Um, at the at the end of the day, as long as um a child, look, as long as the story is remembered, because a lot of these kids they aren't even out there in the mainstream media, and they'll be forgotten. Just another statistic of another killed child. So if one person remembers them, my job is done and that's what matters to me. And just the awareness, if you see something that's not quite right, just say something. And again, if I reach one person, then what I do is worthwhile. And this it's, it's external to all this, I don't know, like other stuff, like, my pronunciation and stuff. People need to forget more about that and just focus on the actual content. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I'm the same. I do this. If people can relate to it, that's why I was able. Like, I, I was aiming to talk to a wide variety of people. Like, um, spoken to comedians. I've spoken to uh, those who work behind the scenes in Hollywood. Um, those involved in arranged marriages. Uh, those who have. Uh, tackled this supernatural world and spirituality like and trying to try and come up with a, a wide variety of of um stories shared and if one or two people can relate to that then you know and, and smile if i can create a genuine smile by my stupid jokes each night i go to bed knowing that i've done a little bit of difference and it makes me smile that's why i've always done this and this year i'm i'm vowing to do more than i did last year 2022 i pumped out a heap of them so yeah. Onwards and upwards this year. Um, we're literally a week into the year. It's my first one, so I think it's about, it's about it's about using your voice or your medium as a reason to make everyone's lives different or better or all the above. Well, yeah, like I'm a firm believer in leaving the planet a better place than you arrived yeah. in. Um, like the sanctity of life. You know, all life must uh, be preserved at all costs. All that sort of thing. I was raised to have a pretty good uh, moral compass, I think. And um, it's allowed me to have some incredible people in my life, like friends, uh, family, 
colleagues. Uh, you gravitate to a certain type of people. And uh, maybe after this Bumble hangout, who knows? Maybe something will blossom from here. We don't know. But um, I'm really enjoying uh, the convo so far. So, okay, so you're three year, or four years in. Or three years. Three years in. And that might be older than what I am. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> my, my, my question is, your time during the pod, is there a series of stories or a specific story that jumps out at you that you uh, like? Were you more invested than others, or what's what's an episode that you've done that you're extremely proud of? I guess would be well, the there are t- there are definitely two, and one I've actually made you listen to. Um, one is Eli Hart. Um, his stepmother reached out to me afterwards and just really thanked me for covering his story because no one did because his mother killed him because she didn't want his dad to get custody of him and he was a disabled child and they wanted a community playground built in his honour but they couldn't go about it and I helped them raise money to build it and that was very rewarding for me because he was he, he was like I got really attached to that child and he was sound like such an amazing child I would have loved to have got to know and I think the world was definitely robbed of him um the other one was uh a foster family reached out to me and they were fostering a little six-year-old girl and they they want to adopt her. And she was removed from them and placed back with her parents. A month later, she disappeared, never been found. And the foster parents just won dances. So they came to me, wanted to bring awareness to the case. And I, I, just, I got attached to her as well because they – told me all about her and the kind of child she was. She had pictures and videos and you can't help but getting attached sometimes. But definitely it stays with you over time. And when I read that, she wrote a letter to her foster daughter, to Oakley, that I read out during the episode and I I just cried. I couldn't help but cry. And I tried to re-record it three or four times after that and I just was crying harder and harder. So I thought, like, fuck it. I'm just going to release the first edit of me crying because I think that people relate to that because it, it it does affect you and it should affect you because it happens in our communities and a lot of people see stuff and don't say stuff. Yeah, it's true. That's that's the hardest thing. Hey, is you people go to their default function and some some are flight, some are fight, some are freeze. And I, I say, I say, my podcast. I'd rather if if some, my neighbor hears me yelling at my kids. I'd rather have docs at my door asking me questions, and nothing comes of it because sometimes kids are assholes. Then not because sometimes the situation is it's worse than what we know. And if we don't, if us as people don't say something, then how does anyone know? And I think we need to be more involved in the community and more aware of what's happening around us to protect the kids because who else is going to do it? You're right. And And I think COVID definitely has made us more isolated and more kept to ourselves. And there's to be a change. In in the way you're saying it, yeah, 100%. Um, But also it's ironic because at the same time, we've never been more connected in terms of technology at, available at our fingertips. And yeah, yes, we can't see 
what happens behind closed doors. But yeah, having that, I guess you call it a moral obligation to speak up if you don't feel something's right. Um, I agree with you there. I think a lot of people, for whatever reason, whether if they're afraid to speak their mind because of the possible consequences or don't want to get involved because they don't want to deal with the issues or drama, but yeah, like if you I could... think something to be remembered that you can always be anonymous. You don't have to tell the police your name. Yeah. No one knows needs to know who you are. So you can you, you can say something and it's not gonna come back to you. And I think that's important. Is that in a, in a, on an international scale or just here in Australia or is it the same in the US as well? Or... All, yeah, international, all over the yeah. world. No, that's good. Yeah, I don't um I, I've been fortunate. Um there are some people in my life uh, that have gone down some dark paths and I know of some people I went to school with that are serving time in jail. And But ultimately, I've been lucky in the sense that I haven't been exposed to too much uh, illegal activities and wrongdoings, I guess you could say. Um, I know of a few people that are in DV relationships and, you know, it's you never want to see that. You never want to see anyone going through a hard time. And... We, we genuinely didn't know. A friend of mine, he uh, he committed suicide about a year ago. And um, uh, him and his ex were... Uh, sorry, this is a raw story. Um, no, go ahead. Him, him and his ex were seemingly all right. When every time they'd come out to dinner or if we went to someone's house for a, a birthday or something, um, they seemed fine. Um, and then... Uh, a friend, he, he would come to work and explain that, oh, they've had a fight again and she's leaving and he doesn't know what to do. And and she'd tell her friends that he would hit her and it just didn't sound like a uh, a very good scenario. Anyways, I'm not playing favourites either side. Um, he, she ended up leaving. Um, there was no physical evidence against him hitting her, but he, I don't know, anyways, long story short, she kept him from seeing the children for whatever reason. She shacked up with someone new and um, he spent thousands on court and he wasn't able to see the kids. He ultimately lost and uh, he ended up taking his own life. And it's a, it's a real story. Oh the guy, he wasn't even 30. And you just think, what a, what a waste. And, you know, for that scenario to, to begin with, like that, that whole toxic scenario, where, whether there was... Uh, physical abuse leading up to said decision no one wants to see that and had i known stuff going on i definitely would have spoken up to, to talk about what you are now um that's just like a whole different situation where i don't know what was there actual abuse taking place and I still to this day i can't confirm or deny none of us genuinely know but i think i think that whole system the whole justice system the whole child protection system is a massive overhaul because i I hate to admit this but people do use this as abuse as an excuse to withhold children from people and it's it's not on like i don't think that it, it makes that worse for people who are genuinely in that situation you're taking advantage of it and it, it withholds decent fathers from the situation, from from their children, and I, I don't know this. I don't know this the solution, but there needs to be some kind of I don't know overhaul. Oh, it's overhaul, a, it's, overhaul, it's, overhaul, it's, a, it's a broad it's a broad um, topic that 
there's not a, a one person answer. It's going to be collaboration for decades and billions of dollars to be spent for years to come. Um, but I, I don't know if it can ever be solved though. No, because it, it can't be. It's always going to be a he said, she said situation. And yeah. And you can. And even, yeah. even with kids, like a kid can be interviewed and where does the belief happen? Because sometimes kids, people think kids make up stuff and. It's it's so difficult and so complicated, but something needs to be done because there are kids losing their lives or kids being affected and parents being affected. And like the Eli Hart situation where the father was being withheld, the child was being withheld from his father for no reason, something needs to happen. He sounded like a good dude, the father. Um, so it, the premise of that episode was, um, the mother killed the young boy Eli. She took him out into the into the scrub, essentially with a shotgun, and shot him through the chest eleven and, times. Eleven yeah. times, and there was, which is absolutely horrific. And uh, she was driving back, and there was evidence of was it a, a shattered back windscreen, uh, a blown yeah. tire, and so the police pulled her over for a like to see what the hell was going on, and they eventually discovered the body and. Um, and evidence like blood on the clothes and the washing machine afterwards, and like it's it's very 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 sad. Yeah. But the, but the but the thought motive was because she didn't want the father to have the child. Yeah. Well, yeah, hundred percent. And I was I was trying to get there, but you know you you can do it much better justice than I can. <laughs> um, but you're hundred percent right. So I guess with this tangential conversation of us going from DV to suicide to. Uh, it's all related, though. I, I feel it like is. it's all related, and I feel like well, it's a very big issue within Australian culture. Yeah, where that it's all it's all tied in together. And it really needs to be some kind of overhaul of mental health and government legislation, where it is considered that this like, children's welfare and parents being withheld from kids does affect everything and. We'll have to, um, might have to do a, um, a disclosure at the start of the episode. Trigger warnings, Sorry. maybe. It's some 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 deep topics have been discussed here, but it's glad I'm glad we are because it's a there's there things that I think need to be talked spoken about more often, more mainstream. And uh, thank you for having this intelligent conversation, like because you are by definition a, an expert in this field. You've done it professionally for a number of decades, and like to to raise a highlight on it and sharing these stories, I. I assume I can speak for a lot of people when we say thank you for bringing light to these who don't often get a chance to be in the limelight. It's important to pay respect and homage and raise these things because it's very real. It's out there. And there are people who on a day-to-day basis would never seemingly do something like that. So, yeah, it is important to speak up. And if you are out there and if you have any concerns about anything that doesn't smell right, Always report it. It's better to have the knowledge there than not at all. Because I promise it it would be hard to report, but it'd be eternally harder if you knew something and didn't speak up and then a life was lost. That would stick with you. I think as a parent who does the right thing, it's less of an inconvenience having someone turn up your door and asking questions than if you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, hundred percent. And there's a quote, um, I think I can't remember what T V show it was, there's about a guy who a young um, Marine who committed suicide because as he came back from serving 
he couldn't fit back into civilian culture and he took his own life. And uh, the quote was, uh, would you, do you think we would rather have him or have his medals of service? Don't be so fucking stupid. Of course we'd want to have him. And I thought that was some pretty powerful writing. It's exactly right. We would rather have, because you can't replace your human life. You just can't. Um, and it's important. I'm a believer in speaking up. always have. Uh, a lot of people know I've spoken about important things like mental health and even suicide in previous episodes and, and things like this. So I think, yeah, speak up and try, if people just try to do the right thing, follow your, follow your moral compass. And I think the world will be going a long way to be a better place if people are able to do that. I'm and, just be there, and just be there for your neighbor <laughs> and just be there for your best friend and ask the questions and make sure everything's okay. Yeah. Sorry, I, you just missed my classic sat sign oh, Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. Every time <laughs> I say it, I, I always try to do that to get a bit of a giggle to bring the mood back up, but that's okay. That's staying in there, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. So my next question is, uh, so you've shared some powerful stories, how you got started, why you've or how you've ended up on this trajectory. Um, going into 24, what, uh, what can your listeners expect to come up on the show? Um, I'm starting a new podcast based on domestic violence, which very much fits into our conversation. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. So what's that going to, like, what's the premise going to be? Will it be international like this one? Will it be focused yes. on? So yeah. tell, tell, talk to us about that. How's that going to come about and what, what specific things of DV will you be uh, focusing on? Just very similar, just very, um, just me just researching and, and doing a deep dive into cases of domestic violence, whether it be just Tinder dates, people going on dates and being murdered or partner violence or family annihilators, just violence within families, domestic violence and things that people in the community can look out for to protect their friends, family, or people in relationships, what they can look out for, the warning signs. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So will you announce that on your socials as it comes up? or? Yes, it's coming up probably early February at the moment, the yeah, podcast. Cool. And what's, that, what's the title of that one going to be so people can keep an eye out for it? The working title is Love Kills. Love kill. No, I like it. Catchy. Okay, so keep an eye out for that one. And if people wanted to check out your show or if people wanted to even interact with yourself, uh, do you have some socials that people would be able to go to to get on the, the true crime bandwagon? They sure can. Um, Instagram is Stolen Lives Podcast or yep. uh, Stolen Lives on Facebook. Sweet. And I will tag uh, those socials as well as um, – any websites or anything that go with that as well. And before we close out, I know we've spoken broadly about what it's about and like I can't deep dive into it because I honestly don't know enough about true crime. I really don't. I'm ignorant in that stance. I'm the one few one of the few Australians that isn't obsessed with true crime. Yeah. Like a lot Not of people yet. in my a lot of people in my circles are like, oh, you know, I've just listen to this amazing story about ABC. It's like, uh, maybe I should, you know what? I will deep dive. I will listen to a few more episodes, but um, going forward, uh, what advice would you give to your listeners out there or is there anything that you'd say that you'd like to say to your listeners um, 
at the moment. Well, no, just in my situation at the moment with the whole dating situation, just make sure that when you are, if you are dating, make sure your friends always know where you are. So just let them know your location, who you're with, an approximate time you're coming back. Just always stay safe. Always be in a public area. Don't isolate yourselves because that's... Yeah. I mean, if, if, if realistically, you're going to become more by a partner than a stranger, but it does happen. Yeah. Just make sure you're safe and be smart. I'm taking notes here too. <laughs> don't, 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 don't meet someone in the Blue Mountains just randomly on a Wednesday. Yeah, well, that's yet to be confirmed. That's a conversation <laughs> for private, but yeah. Well, there was a, I've been fortunate enough to speak with a few, um, dating experts some of those and some people like a sexologist and uh, actually sex workers as well and uh, one of the biggest important common consensus is from all of them is the importance of consent um yes now they said statistically that the men are more likely to act out as opposed to women if if a, an answer of no is given um so if it's not on, it's there, not on. Can I just, can I say there's, there's an excellent video on YouTube called Teen Consent. Yep. That I, 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 I've showed my children this. Yep. Where it's, you would not force someone to drink, you would not invite someone over to drink a cup of tea. And then if they say no, force them to drink it. 100%. So if you wouldn't do that, then why would you force them to have sex? That's right. And it's, it's, it's a very funny cartoon. But it does really push home the fact where you don't, if someone says yes, then says no, you don't force them. Well, maybe so we I, will, I, I will give you the link. I will give you the link to that. Yep. It's very witty and very smart and very educational. It should be shown in schools everywhere, to be honest. Okay. Yeah, we could, we could give that a spin, give it a spin on your socials as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, I guess also uh, these dating experts. So Kim, Kim Dunlop has been doing this for a long time and and other important things to consider are like, as you said, somewhere public. Generally, if it's a first meeting, like, you know, you go somewhere public, generally somewhere halfway. So if you can't and you drive yourself there or get yourself there. So that way, if you have to leave, there's no pressure on the other person and you don't have to feel uncomfortable getting them to take you home. Um, yeah. It's like tell people where you're going as well, if you can. Um, and do take steps to make sure it's safe. And, you know, if, if there's no consent, if it's no, it's no, don't try and force. Yes. Don't feel like you got to climb some sort of mountain conqueror so you can sleep with this person or whatever. Just keep it safe. Consent is important. And, you know, there are an umpteenth amount of love shows out there that, uh, talk about things like the dark side of dating, like murder, or those who are in a toxic relationship and they may take their own life because boundaries weren't being adhered to. So know what you're all about. Um, create some boundaries. Do some soul searching. Ask the people around you what you think what they would deem important to you in the dating world. Um, this is just advice I've been told. I'm no expert, as you know, because I'm still single, but um, if you take steps like that and learn more about yourself, learn things like the term emotional maturity. You know, there's a, a test you can take. It's called love the love language test. So you might be one of five love languages. It's all, it correlates with the book that was written too. So 
read that, educate yourself in, in the field of growth. And the more that you know about yourself, the better you'll be out there in the dating world, as I'm told. Am I wrong? And I'm, I, and I'm, <laughs> I'm very big about having boundaries and expectations. So if you, ha- if you know what you want to have, it's all about you should know what you want to have when you go into dating. If you don't, you shouldn't do it. And then you stick, you need to stick to it, like, and then communicate that and have your boundaries and communicate that. And if, I think the right person would respect that. And don't put yourself in a situation where you're not safe. And, yeah, sorry. sorry. Uh, agreed. And um, so I'll share sorry. those um, socials there and. If you're still listening after this tangented conversation about a lot of important things, thank you. Um, I hope you go and enjoy some episodes of Ali's podcast because it's enjoyable. They're in bite-sized 30-minute releases, so you can catch your, your weekly daily fix, whatever you, you want to do. And and um, well, I thank you all for listening and expect more from me this year. Um, I'm looking forward to putting out some more content, some cool stories. And if you're a, from Newcastle, I've got a bit of a Newcastle pseudo-celeb coming up in the next couple of weeks. So I can't wait to speak to Mr. Super Hubert. Uh, anyone in the last 40 years would know he's done a lot of work in the uh, space of radio, television. Um, he used to own a – I learned tonight that he used to own a, a, a toy shop in Cardiff uh, back in the 80s. So um, done a lot of work with charities like Variety. So I hope to keep the, the, good, ro- the good vibes rolling. Ali, thank you for today. I've really appreciated it. And um, it's your shout for coffee on Wednesday. I can't wait. Anyways, thanks for listening, guys. And I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now.